It is 16 minutes before the hour here on the Gerard Large Radio Show. And we're pleased to be on the air with our good friend James Patrick Riley of Courage, New Hampshire fame. James, I have something for you this morning. James is the director, producer, writer, star of the Courage, New Hampshire television series, which you can find at colonybay.tv. It's aired on cable networks nationwide. You can also get other tidbits of history there. Join me in joining the colony. You've done dumber things with $25, uh, sorry, $17.76. Good morning, James. Good morning, Rich. So I, I have a, a little story for you before you give us your history, and it, because it comes from your uh, ancestral hometown of Chesterfield, New Hampshire. Oh, very good. I'm excited. You worry about this? Yes. All right. So Attorney General Gordon McDonald announced that the Consumer Protection and Antitrust Bureau has resolved a civil enforcement action against, um, uh, oh, is this, is this the right one? I'll keep reading it and find out. <laughs> uh, uh, Linda Gray of Greenfield for violating New Hampshire Consumer Protection Act. The state's complaint alleged that Ms. Gray, in the course of representing the buyer of a house in Chesterfield, there it is, falsified a water test report from uh, form to deceptively indicate that the house's well water had been tested for arsenic and contained extremely elevated levels. The state alleged that this deception allowed Ms. Gray's client to secure a significant price reduction from the seller of the property. The state's subsequent investigation determined that the well on the property did not have elevated arsenic levels and that the water testing company whose form was falsified did not perform any test for arsenic. And that goes on for there. So mischief in your ancestral hometown. The old arsenic in the well trick. There you go. Indeed. Yes. I'll yes, have to remember um, that next, uh, next time I go buy a house. Hope one of my cousins wasn't involved. Uh, uh, <laughs> you still have family back here? Well, there's actually if you if you run into any New England snows, anyone with the last name of Snow, um, very likely I'm related to them. Really, there was few. there was a John Snow who was the Manchester City coordinator years ago, and he was mm-hmm. a uh, he was a big name in the banking world here in New Hampshire. Yeah, quite a few snows. In fact, I believe there are some towns. In New Hampshire, where um, snows have have lived uh, every generation since 1762 or so, since the really? settlements. Wow! So, but um, uh, uh, I have a few stories today. Uh, I start with a real short one. This is April 1775 from Providence, uh, the Providence Gazette. Amos Eldred was convicted of horse stealing and sentenced to forfeit all his estates, both real and personal. To be whipped 39 stripes through se- several times, to be banished uh, from the colony, and have found with the same, within the same 10 days after he is uh, released from the law to be hanged, he is 39 stripes this day. So, um, horse thievery apparently was not um, looked upon favorably in the colonies. No, that and was a big deal. Stripes. I mean, I, I guess the reason I'm obsessed with this stuff is that. Uh, Today, when we hear, you know, even more gross violations, you know, child molestation or, or rape or murder, our justice system drags on forever and employs so many people. I I, re- I firmly believe that our justice system is a, um, it, it, they actually want more crime because they get to hire more people to handle it. And uh, <laughs> it, I, yeah, I, I'm. I'm I'm fairly convinced that in the 18th century they had the right solution. If you if you found a horse thief, you you whipped him 39 stripes. Um, 
Um, and, uh, and here's a story uh, I thought was um, very interesting in that uh, uh, in light of all of the uh, statue, uh, you know, uh, destroying that's going on these days. This is from February of 1775. And uh, as, as you're probably aware, the colonies were ramped up to war, getting ready to defend their rights. And so this story comes from Connecticut. A correspondent has sent us the following. We have certain information from Middleton, colony of Connecticut, that Deacon Joseph Coe, Captain David Coe, Captain Isaac Miller, and Mr. Elihu Stone at that place have freed their Negroes, five in number, being healthy, able-bodied, faithful persons. It is to be hoped that an example so worthy of imitation by being published influence on all who are now nobly preparing to avoid a state of slavery less grievous than that of the Negroes with which this country is threatened, even at the risk of their lives and all they hold dear on earth. It must bring conviction to all those who have any just conception of the natural rights of men who all come into the world upon equal as to natural liberty. The denial of this grand truth sets tyrant as easily as a master of slaves. More especially must this truly Christian sacrifice of self-interest to truth and righteousness powerfully affect all who profess to have been set free by the gospel of Christ, and yet live in the daily known sin of slave-keeping. Be it like to the world that the Reverend Mr. Benedictown, with many other clergymen in Connecticut, have borne a constant testimony both in their public and private capacities against the infamous practice of slave-keeping. Greatly is it to be wished that all persons, uh, preachers of Christianity, the most pure and glorious system of morals and philosophies and truth, as well as matters of faith and mysteries peculiar to itself, would, be, uh, would thus fulfill the Christian law of love and universal benevolence, both in word and deed. So, evidently, the pastors of Connecticut and clergymen of Connecticut had roundly condemned slave-keeping, and it was beginning to have an effect on their um, congregations, um, beginning to use f- at that time. And I, I think it's, it's, it's um, sort of tragic in America. I think it especially happens on the side of us. Is we, we tend to want to win battles so quickly that uh, we end up losing them because we won't accept um, a, a compromise on the way to achieving uh, you know, a greater... Freedom. I mean, I think that um, in this case, they they knew they they knew they were uh, hopelessly compromised on the and and it led to the, the the compromises that were in the constitution. But these were people who knew that they had to end that institution, and um, I don't think that they're they're given credit for the fight that they were they were waging. I mean, I think that if we were compared today as abortion uh, fight, we know that. Many, many, many people in the congregation are compromised by not only abortions in their past, but a commitment to have them in the future if they want them. And I think that it keeps pastors from roundly condemning the sin in a way that uh, would encourage people to to forsake it and to seek its end in the law as as well. And because yeah, they don't they don't want to and, offend their congregants who may have uh, morally erred. But if that's going to be the approach on abortion, why not have that be the? You know that that's why you get these you know these lovey dovey feel good churches like Joel Osteen's that uh, you know are 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 all you know all God loves you and no, but you have to behave yourself, or you have to well, atone for your sin, your past sins. People, 
they, they don't really understand the role of the church in in reforming the the, the whole culture. You know what what happened in this story? Obviously, was that a few farmers, a militia captain, heard these sermons over and over and over again, and they may have had one or two um, uh, slave uh, slaves in their in their uh, in their personal estate, and they they eventually couldn't go to church anymore without feeling the guilt of um, the pressure that was being laid upon them. And I think that. I think pastors forget that today that they, they they feel they have to up the offering and they have to make everyone those. But the role of pastor, something like a physical trainer, he's supposed to bruise your soul, and um, that was what was obviously going on in the 18th century. Mm. Um, I've got another story, and this is a pretty violent one. This is um, about uh, the basically the um, the the uh, I'm I'm just uh, giving this last story about Chesterfield. I got to make sure I know, I'm reading the right story now. <laughs> uh, um, but um, the um, oh, here we go. Um, this was this is during the again 1775, and at this time this happened at Portsmouth as well. Um, there were um, cargoes of molasses that were being impounded, and molasses was used to make rum. It was a a big trade commodity in the 18th century. So this was this story says a correspondent has sent us the following. We have certain information about. Um, I'm sorry, and I began to read the same story again. There we go. Charleston. This is Charleston, South Carolina, from Savannah and Georgia, informed that the collector of the customs there, having seized molasses and foreign sugars on the 15th day of last month, about a quarter of a mile from said town, put the same under the care of a waiter, that's a tide waiter, and two uh, seamen from on board His Majesty's schooner St. John. About 12 the uh, ensuing night, a large number of people disguised and armed went to the wharf, uh, tarred and feathered the waiter, threw the two seamen into the river, and carried off the sugar and molasses. One of the seamen named David Martin was seen in the water begging for mercy, and he has not been seen or heard of since. There is great reason to believe him having perished. Actually, Sir James Wright, governor of Georgia, has issued a proclamation offering a reward of 50 pounds. So um, this molasses... Um, was uh, impounded uh, by the customs officials, and uh, 12 to 15 men disguised and armed uh, tarred and feathered uh, the, the keeper of the contraband. This happened in Portsmouth. It's one of the things we hope to be able to uh, explore and encourage one of these days is that uh, Sir uh, Governor John Wentworth was extremely irate. A schooner full of molasses had been uh, emptied and put out rewards to find out who the culprits were. Americans are pretty big believers in economic liberty and and, and that we have a long history of being um, against taxation. Um, let's see. I guess unless it benefits us, right, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless. Um, and then I th- I thought this was an interesting story. This is, I won't read the whole anecdote, but it's basically sort of a more uh, three men who were um, who came upon a, f- a small fortune in a chest. And it not being claimed, they uh, divided it. They ran out of provisions, so they sent the young man uh, into town to buy provisions. And as he's uh, there, he says to himself, you know, why should I have to split this fortune three ways? I'll I'll poison the provisions, and then uh, no one will know what happened. I'll, I'll keep it to myself. So he goes back, and uh, while he's been gone, the two men think, why, why are we dealing with this... Um, uh, um, you know, poor youngster here when we could have the fortune in half thirds. And so upon his arrival, um, 
they eat of his provision and kill him. So they they poisoned themselves and then killed the other, so no one got the got the fortune. <laughs> and then um, the um, and then there's kind of a sermon at the end uh, about um, uh, and see if you don't think this uh, uh, applies to um, some of our civil servants today. Uh, innumerably are the instances in all and every shape of man's imposed upon and ruined by himself. He is ever forming schemes of happiness, which when completed, naturally prove his sheer destruction. All this is owing to the unknown and endless workings of self. And it's got the word self spelled out in large capitals, just boldly jumping out of the italicized text. And it goes on to to talk about how um, people need to examine their conscience. And you know what? Some of these stories, I was reading a New York Post story about how Donald Trump turns out to have been right about um, his hotel having been wiretapped and the FBI basically being used to investigate an opposing presidential candidate uh, about Susan Rice flat out lying about her unmasking um, opposing political party members. And um, and you just look at corruption that's seeping to our culture and to our government. And I, I really do think it's because of the absence of that kind of bruising sermon that I heard, I just read about in the uh, previous story. We don't have people examining. Can you imagine Susan Rice examining her conscience with respect to uh <laughs> She'd have to go to the Lost and Found to see if it was there. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I, I, I really do have a family that uh, the 18th century still has a lot to teach us. I think uh, the lessons of history have not been learned, which is why, of course, you know, the consciences that get bruised by these people who don't have one are those of us who suffer by their uh, their immoral, unethical, self-centered, self-advancing, uh, self-aggrandizing actions and behaviors. And, and that's, you know, somebody's going to get hurt somewhere, and uh, perhaps pastors and other people in position of uh, uh, leadership ought to start getting their house together and realizing that the collateral damage they're allowing by not addressing these issues head on and uh, 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 is far more devastating than the, the the damage that would be had for people who were caused to examine their conscience because they were a little bruised in a sermon. Well, I mean, you, you don't get in shape physically unless you had a trainer just beating you. You know, I mean, it's, it's the I same thing with our, our conscience. Or, I mean, our our sense of what is right and wrong. I mean, I think, and I think that um, to that in the church is, <laughs> I think that we have we have to look at the men of God and say, you know, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> and James, on that we have to go because I'm up against the clock at the top of the hour. Thanks so much for being with us here this morning on the Drive at Large Radio Show and giving us a peek at the way it was and perhaps should be again. Thanks, Rich. All right, uh, we have no time for traffic, weather, sports, or anything else, folks. Have a great weekend. It sounds like it's going to be a good one. For the entire team here at Trout at Large, I am your ever-humble host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. Until Monday, be good, be well. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. We're proud to have you in the audience. Thanks for being there. Please remember our sponsors. Give them the first opportunity to earn your business and let them know you had heard about them on Trout at Large. It matters. Have a great weekend, everyone.